Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning Book 11 of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days. We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us to reach as many people as possible. If you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com support. Let's get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Book 11. I guess, well, I was going to say two more to go, but it's 11, 12, and 13. So three more. But if you subtract Mm. 13 from 11, that's two. So it really Mm -hmm. depends how you count. If you count like a normal person, it's three. If you count like me, it's two. But that's all to say. (laughs) We're making really great progress here. So kudos to all you who are still with us at book 11. As we've mentioned, moving from book 9 to book 10, uh, these last three books of the Confessions move from a more, as you realize from listening and, and reading, move from the sort of autobiographical sections to Augustine's theological and philosophical meditations on God, on creation, on time, on memory, on, you know, so less autobiographical, more, let's say, theological. And here we find ourselves in the middle way of, of these book. So we're kind of situated right in the thick of it, journeying with Augustine in his theological ventures. So book 11 continues, as I was saying, these philosophical theological inquiries into the nature of God and our relationship to God and his creation. So where we all fit in, how it all fits in. And if you remember from the last book, from book 10 that we just finished, in book 10, St. Augustine considered memory and our senses and how we come to know and remember and have knowledge of things and and these sort of capacities. But now in book 11, he turns to a consideration of time and, and doing so kind of considers time in its various capacities with respect to what is it, how does God create in it, how do we exist in it, how does God exist in it, Um, just a a consideration of time. We might think, uh, well, I might think, maybe you're thinking too, but I won't project. um, If I were to say, here's a biography of a saint or an autobiography, and then in the last couple of books, he's going to think about memory and time, it might seem to like, why? What's going on? What does he do? Why is this important? But if you think about it very simply, it's it's through our memory and through our existence and time that we know and relate and exist with God. So these aren't kind of abstract. I mean, there is some abstract thought here, but it's not just sort of like wanderings for the sake of wanderings, but it's sort of looking at the means through which and by which we come to know God. So Father Gregory, as far as like introduction into, I don't know, right? The worst kind of answer is an answer given to a question that hasn't been asked. So I'm kind of posing the question, like, why are we talking about time so as to 
like propose to people, like, let's work through these chapters together. Any sort of 30,000 foot intros to time and why St. Augustine's meditating on it. Yeah. Like you said, or like you kind of led into, the Confessions is divided in two main parts, as St. Augustine describes it in his Retractationis. So it's called the Confessions in 13 books, the first 10 of which speak of his life, the last three of which speak of sacred scripture. And the two are in close coordination, even dialogue. So as we journeyed with St. Augustine through the first 10 books, we saw that he makes a variety of ascents or that he has a couple of minor conversions on the way to his major conversion. And one of those was to Manichaeanism. And certainly he had his struggles making sense of the Manichaean doctrine and ultimately determined after his encounter with Faustus that there wasn't sense to be made because it was senseless. Um, so a big sticking point for him in coming to an appreciation of the true faith is creation, the doctrine of creation, and specifically how creation can come from God without God thereby being changed, or how a material creation can come from God without God thereby being material. And so a lot of these different paradoxes with the Manichaeans play with, he wants to uh, shed light on them. He wants to understand them more perfectly or more clearly. And, you know, it's no surprise that in books 11, 12, and 13, he does what is in effect an interpretation of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the creation stories. And this book 11 is basically Genesis 1-1, and then book 12 is like a little bit of picking up from Genesis 1-1, and then a little bit of a lot of Genesis 1-2, and then book 13 kind of sees the rest of Genesis 1 and 2 through to their term. So he's taking very seriously the words of sacred scripture as they concern creation. And so when he talks about time, it's a, a kind of deliverance of his meditation upon the first words whereby, you know, we hear it said, uh, in the beginning. So like, what does beginning mean? You know, how is it a beginning? For whom? In what sense? How does God stand to a beginning? And so this for him is, it's very personal. It's very existential, in fact, because this is one of the major hurdles. This is one of the major hangups that he needs to address. And so he's helping us to address something similar. And in the process, he's giving us a kind of pedagogy and how we work through our intellectual difficulties and coming to a deeper understanding of the faith. Yeah, I think in my experience teaching RCIA or OCIA working with with people who are coming into the church, um, receiving the sacraments of initiation. In my own experience, I with the faith and coming to know things, I think there are always things that we wrestle with, things that pose a challenge to our yeah, to our understanding, to our belief. Not in a way that means like I don't believe, but you know, things that might not be as clear or as straightforward or as upfront. And as Father Gregory was pointing out, these questions, especially with creation, um, coming from the Manichaean sect and heresy that he spent, remember, you know, like nine years with the Manichaeans looking for answers to these questions. It's it's sort of here, like think of it in these terms, you know, he was there with the Manichaeans, wasn't finding his answers. They were big hangups for him in his, in his coming to Christ. And he converts. And now with the light of faith and the gift of faith and the gift of his, you know, own reason, and he's he's kind of working through these to better understand and and you know as he's been sort of handed the wisdom of things he's now sifting through it for himself which is it's also in in its own way kind of beautiful to behold the the saint and this intellect and mind working through these things so we're talking about time and one of the things that augustine talks about or kind of sets up at the beginning is the relationship father gregory mentioned this but the way by which we as created creatures as a great definition would be, as created creatures exist in time and how God doesn't exist in time. So obviously we as human beings exist 
in a continuum uh, of time. And maybe it's it's helpful just to say, you know, give a very simple definition of time. Time is the measurement of of motion, of how things move, or the measurement of change, you know, however that might be put. But it's, it has to be said from the beginning that we exist in time, and God doesn't exist in time. So these things are are given to us, are revealed to us. We can kind of reason to that in some ways, but that sets up the question or the or the the problem that Saint Augustine's going to to talk more about that Father Gregory described with respect to creation. How does God interact then with creation if He's outside of time? You know, He's not within it. So let's let's. I guess talk a little bit about the question of creation in time. Like, what what does that mean? How is God exempt from it? How are we not exempt from it? I guess. Yeah. So we make the distinction typically between God, who is eternal, like you said, and we who are time bound. Uh, so a classic definition of eternity, which comes about a century after Saint Augustine, is that of Saint Severinus Boethius. You all often heard him just named. Boethius. Turns out he's a saint, so let's go sanctity. But he says that eternity is the whole and simultaneous possession of endless life. And the basic idea there is that God doesn't unfold or God doesn't experience throughout the course of a variety of events. God just is. Whereas in our case, we do unfold. You know, our lives are, you know, when we say time bound, we mean that there is a past and a present and a future. The past passes away. The future is yet to come to be. And the present is you know, it's, it's just the now. And so as a result of which, we only possess our lives step by step, or we only possess our lives moment to moment. And so there's a kind of thinness or insubstantiality to our existence, whereas by comparison to God, who just, just is to be. And so I think that, you know, he's trying to make sense of how God can introduce, uh, you know, creation into this world and how time is kind of riding on the coattails, as it were, of creation, because creation is is going to be less than God, because God's not going to create himself. That's nonsense, too. <laughs> um, so, so time is going to come on the coattails of creation, insofar as creation is, is less or is limited in its expression of being. And as a result, it's going to change. It's going to pass from past to present to future. And so time will be the measure of that created state. So it's a little bit like you know, involved philosophically, but I think it helps us to make sense of our relationship with God, uh, how we are dependent upon him, how we look to him for our being and for our, you know, coming to be, and yet God himself remains unchanged. Yeah, I think that that last, what you just said, that last bit, that God remains unchanged or unaffected by creation also raises another point, or it's raised by St. Augustine, so it might be good for us to say a few words about, you know, God is not changed he contains and is everything that he is and there is no will be or was but in a moment in an instant and i guess sometimes we use the word like an eternal present there is no coming to be there is no passing away in god but he does create and he interacts with creation so i get there's and we also speak about god's desire and you typically if you think well what does it mean to desire well you desire something that you don't have and want to possess it but we see here god's desire we know in our lives and through revelation that god desires to share his life with us that creation is a sort of overflow of his love that creates and then desires to share that divine life with us and this is the whole like prospect of saint augustine's conversion and ours too so how can we speak about god's desire you know if there isn't change if there isn't sort of time if there isn't necessity in God in the sense that he's complete. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is a great thing. It kind of departs a little bit from the text itself, but it helps us to make sense of the text. 
Uh, so God doesn't will other than himself. Not in the sense that God is an egotist or God is like a megalomaniac, but God wills all things in willing himself. So there's this really kind of strange Christian teaching. It's mind-bending, but it's true, so it's worth looking at. Namely, that there's no division in God. There's no complexity in God. God is simple. So God is his being. He is, in this case, we'll say his will. He is his act of willing. He is the object of his willing. And so when we say that God is love, we don't mean it in the way that I say, you know, oh man, that, you know, like teacher that I had in fifth grade, she was just pure love. No, we, when I say that, I mean that, you know, my teacher in fifth grade, she was very loving. And so love was a property that she expressed with great intensity, right? But, but she isn't pure love. That's just not true because there's complexity to her and there's other things there at work. Whereas when we say it of God, we mean it. God just is love. There's no division. There's no complexity. And so he is his will. He is his love. He is his mercy. And so, you know, like when we introduce these, these different considerations here talking about God desiring, God doesn't desire the way that we desire. Like we desire often out of need. I desire food and drink because I get hungry and thirsty. You know, I desire human companionship because otherwise I get sad and lonely. I desire dot, 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 and you can extend that through. But in the case of God, his love is a, is a love that goes out. His love is a love that creates. His love is a love that kind of brims over his divine nature, not because he needs us or because he's lonely or because he is in any way lacking, but because, and this is something that we've said before, like, it's almost as if God had a secret too good to keep that secret of his divine life. And so he expends himself in creation or he, you know, shares himself in creation, shares the secret of his inmost depths so that we can partake of it. So we see in it generosity, gratuity, not need, not lack, but the very opposite. And as St. Augustine passes through these questions in, in sort of the latter half or towards the end of, of this book, he, he considers time, I guess, more specifically in itself. So we'll say a little bit about that here, but we'll, we can consider those details when we get to those chapters. You know, he looks at the parts of time, past, present, future that we have already mentioned, you know, that doesn't take much to explain what those are, but he looks at how those are the signposts of time or how that by or through which past, present, future, and our concepts of those, how it is that we understand the passing of time. But it's interesting because he's ultimately unsure um, about our ability or inability to actually measure time or to have a sort of, what, concrete or thorough grasp of how time passes and how we're affected by it and how we live in it. It seems to me that for St. Augustine, it's something that we, sh we certainly live in and experience, but our ability to sort of have a full kind of grasp of what time is and all of its nuances, he, he seems a bit reserved as to our ability to kind of pronounce on all things and just say, here's the scientific and thorough reality of what it is. You know, it's something, as I said, that we definitely experience because we're living in it, but our ability for our mind to wrap around it, it's kind of like, cause we're, we're flowing in the river of time, if that makes sense. So to get a bigger picture of the whole kind of river is tough when you're kind of in it and flowing with it. But he concludes the book uh, in this conversation, or he'll conclude it for us by, again, considering our existence, that is past, present, and future, and God, who is an eternal present. So he he comes back. I mean, he doesn't stop talking about it, but he, he punctuates this reality, the difference between God and us in our time-boundness and in God's timelessness. So he leaves us with that to, to recognize who God is and who we are. It's sort of, yeah, it's an intellectual kind of reminder, right? But it's also a reminder of 
the reality of God and the reality of creature, but also if we if we're thinking of the confessions as a whole, not just an isolated chapter or book, reminds us too of God's you know care for us and you know His infinite love for us, and even we can think too of God's entering into time in the incarnation. If we're kind of thinking, okay, well, what's going on? How does God love and how does He care? So that's where Saint Augustine will leave us at the end of Book Eleven, Father Gregory. Any thoughts on that or on the book or any anything exciting before we get to the first chapters of book 11? Yeah, I guess um, some of these meditations might seem to you, reader, to be a little bit abstract when he's asking whether the past exists in some sense or whether the future exists in some sense, even whether the present exists in some sense. And he's kind of playing these questions off each other like somewhat dialectically, it might not seem especially fruitful for you as a philosophical exercise, as a spiritual exercise, but I think that there's some some real nice application in our own spiritual life. Because for instance, like what do you do with past sins, right? Do they exist? How do you reckon with them? How do you relate to them? You know, like with your memory, all right? How do you remember them? How do you recall them? You know, so that, that to me is a very interesting question because I don't think that regret is what the Lord intends for us, but I do think that repentance is. And that means bringing those sins to the Lord in the sacrament of confession, being healed of them, and then looking back on the past with a sense that, okay, the Lord is on the move. The Lord is at work, even in my sinful past. And so it's for me to recognize him there, to be recollected in his presence. You could do a similar thing for the future. It doesn't yet exist. It can become an occasion of infinite anxiety, all right, or ambition, vainglory, pride, whatever, right? But, but that hasn't happened. So then how do I live in the present with an eye towards the future that's responsible, that's evangelical, that's dynamic, that's apostolic, and yet not become devoured by, by fear or by uncertainty, right? That's also a very interesting question. And I think when St. Augustine is making all of these different considerations here on a philosophical level, there's real spiritual insight to be had from them. So maybe you can engage with them in that spirit. That might be fruitful. Great. Well, stay tuned because we're going to pick up with the first chapters 11, uh, the first chapters of book 11 uh and we're gonna we're gonna walk through all of this together and i think father gregory's last point here is well how do these things apply you know how does this make sense in my life and what is saint augustine kind of opening my mind and heart to in these considerations so if we keep that in our crosshairs i think there's a lot to be gained from these chapters so yeah come back to the book it's great all right until then know of our prayers for you please pray for us and we will catch you next time on catholic classics mm-hmm.